You're listening to the University Cast, your one-stop shop for student and graduate news. I'm your host, Joe Bunkle, the politics graduate and all-round opinion-packing news anchor. Now, let's get into the week. And welcome back to the University Cast. It's the 12th of December and uh, the festive period is looming like a grim spectre. Have you done your Christmas shopping yet? I've done some of mine. Don't feel bad if you haven't done it yet. I don't. <laughs> it's it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to uh, to uh, to pick out all those uh, all those gifts through the myriad of adverts and Mariah Carey that you are afraid. Actually, to be fair, at least that's uh, one thing that we can be grateful for about pandemic and lockdowns is uh, that we're not forced to listen to crap Christmas music whilst we're uh, desperately trying to figure out what to get mum and dad whilst we're out in town uh, in, you know, whatever whatever store it is that you might be buying. It's no buble. Don't have to listen to that one song by Slade. <laughs> we can pick our own music this year. There's one thing that I can be thankful for is, uh, is picking my own music during this Christmas period. And one thing that you can be thankful for is your weekly dose of university news. Uh, that's my gift to you uh, <laughs> on this 12th of December. And uh, this week, as you open the box and find out what newsy gift I've got inside for you, uh, this week uh, we're uh, going back to Cambridge, taking a look at some news coming out of the University of Cambridge. A recent vote at UOC, um, a recent vote to put in a motion to promote a uh, sort of more respectful, tolerant environment. The The wording was very, uh, not straight. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't a, a, a clear outline of policy that I could find. Uh, I imagine Regent House likes to keep that to themselves. But a recent vote to make sure that uh, all those associated with the uni are respectful of all views and diverse identities, whatever that um, means uh, more crunchily in terms of legislation was shot down in a landslide vote of 86.9% majority, which is a pretty pretty resounding majority. Proposals were criticised by um, various people, not just the governing bodies and pressure groups, students, academics at UOC. It was also criticised by uh, CAM alumni Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry, uh, as you may or may not know, you know, well-known sort of comedian and uh, recently sort of very much a political commentator, very uh, upfront, big on a free speech scene, has described these proposals as muddled, whatever that means. <laughs> so I imagine a lot of this comes out. It there's there's kind of a there's a bit of a debate as to whether or not free speech and you know, so whether there were real sort of free speech kind of witch hunts around Cambridge, a lot of a lot of this seems to be stemming from sort of a no platforming sort of debacle. Uh, I imagine a while back, uh, if you keep up to date on these sort of things, you'll be no doubt aware that uh, students at UOC and uh, students at other unions as well have done this, where they've uh, they've denied a platform to speakers who've got quite controversial viewpoints so you can imagine people like um, Nigel Farage 
might be uh, denied a platform. It's called no plat. It's called no platforming. And uh, this was obviously criticised by free speech groups as, uh, hey, you know, we live in a liberal democracy. We should be, uh, we should let these people speak. Uh, we may not agree with their ideas, but forefront of any democracy is debate. It's those buttings of opinions, are, um, you know, kind of locking horns, butting heads, that kind of thing. So from this point on at UOC, uh, no, no speakers, regardless of their controversial viewpoints, will be denied the stage by students. Any of those invited to speak, they will be allowed to do so, uh, so long as the content of their speakings does not, you know, breach UK law, you know, does not turn into a, into an Nazi party rally. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you can be you can be as controversial as you want, but as as long as you're as long as you're in the law, it's uh, it's okay by them. The uh, vice chancellor of USC, Stephen Toop, uh, he's uh, very happy about this. Uh, he's very happy about this. Uh, clearly, he's on the uh, on the free speech side of this. He's called it an emphatic reaffirmation of free speech in our university after uh, Regent House, which is uh, USC's governing body, has uh, has given this to go ahead. He said that rigorous debate is fundamental to the pursuit of academic excellence, and in exercising their right to freedom of expression, the university expects its staff and visitors to be tolerant of differing opinions of others. So, regardless of this move to ensure that uh, even though a speaker might be controversial and may have opinions that upset or cause distress to uh, students, staff or associates at USC, they must remain tolerant and respectful of differing opinions. But they can still they can still be allowed to speak, which obviously is uh, it's, it's a rather double edged sword because you you can get speakers which, uh, you know, we have to be tolerant of their, you know, you will have to be tolerant of their viewpoint, regardless of I don't know. Let's let's say uh, somebody who doesn't believe Islamophobia is a thing. Uh, somebody who believes that people who are weary or just downright distrustful of Muslim people are allowed to speak, and we have to be tolerant of that. That's their opinion, even though obviously that's that's immediately downplaying uh, the quite widespread troubles that. Muslim people and those of the Islamic faith genuinely do experience in England uh, as as a result, obviously, of things like nine eleven and wars in the Middle East. You you can go on YouGov, you can look it up. Uh, it's not that hard to find that hate crimes uh, regarding the Islamic faith uh, went up considerably over recent years. But uh, hey, if uh, if they're speaking at UOC, then you have to put up with that. So. It's obviously coming at a, it's it's obviously coming at a bit of a kick of the teeth in regards to any student or academic or associate that is a member of a minority group that will feel that the people coming to speak who have a not necessarily an aggressive uh, view obviously they wouldn't be allowed to speak if they were promoting some kind of uh, hate or violence or you know perpetuating a falsehood about a group of people but nevertheless this still is downplaying and taking it's pushing back various fights that have have gone on uh, recently obviously you know we've seen uh, just through this year um, the black lives matter movement has been has been taking leaps and bounds 
in regards to uh, leveling the playing field for black people, not just obviously it's been huge in the USA, but it's also been huge in England as well. And somebody coming to speak who decides that, uh, hey, there's uh, there's no racism anymore. Um, uh, black people have exactly the same rights and uh, freedoms and they're treated exactly the same as white people in the UK. That That's obviously, you know, that's a pushback. That's a real pushback. Um, and this is recognised by the Cambridge branch of the Universities and Colleges Union, who said that these amendments are not fit for purpose. And we will get uh, a little bit deeper into why they're not fit for purpose right now, because the real effect of this this uh, ending of no platforming, the real effect of this has ensured that students are inhibited from protesting against against these uh against people that have viewpoints that are countermand to certainly what they believe in or are simply downplaying or degrading the struggles that they've gone through uh you know lgbtq plus students minority ethnic students students from a non-christian religious background or basically students that just look a little bit different from the white anglo-saxon protestant idea that we've got of an englishman they're not allowed to protest anymore which uh obviously is a huge part of freedom of speech. I believe strongly that they go part and parcel. Freedom of speech is the building block of a liberal democratic society, obviously. Discourse and discussion is there. Uh, there would be no point of having, well, you just simply wouldn't have a liberal democracy without freedom of speech. You know, we wouldn't have parliament, you know, we wouldn't have Keir Starmer um, grilling the prime minister. That wouldn't exist. Uh, you know, we'd live in a totalitarian state where we do what we're told. Uh, but nevertheless, protest is part of freedom of speech. It's part of that discourse. You know, if if you can remember, during sort of like the Iraq War protests against the Blair administration, uh, there were real moves by the government under things like the Counterterrorism Act to stop people from protesting, to stop people exercising their right to protest against something which they felt was inherently wrong. And obviously, that's a bit autocratic because you know Tony Blair tried to have people held without trial un- under these um, under these counterterrorism bills, which is uh, which you know if you ask me, it's a little bit totalitarian. So you can't have one without the other. I understand this wants to ensure that that speakers can come speak, even if what they say is is either unhelpful or upsetting, but. Why can't the students protest this? Why should they be stopped from doing that? Uh, I get the idea of stopping no platforming because, uh, you know, hey, uh, if you want to watch somebody stand up and make a fool out of themselves because their beliefs are mainly just fueled by belief, then feel free. Uh, I, uh, when I was in college, I went to a. It, it wasn't really a conference, I guess. It was. It was like. A, it was basically. You know, they had a lineup of MPs who would come and sort of talk about being MPs or what they believe in. Honestly, I don't really remember hugely the content or what the the direction of it. It felt quite directionless. Basically, you know, we were just in a dirty great big hall and we just had a couple politicians come on and tell us about what they'd done and their things. And I think I think one of I think there was a Labour MP that like uh, apologised for Iraq or something. Uh, I I I don't I don't remember honestly. It was um, it was a while ago. But I remember Nigel Farage was there to speak, and 
<laughs> it was it was truly very funny. I, you know, I, I this show it's political. I will be political, and I'd be very upfront. I don't like Nigel Farage. I don't think he's a very nice or intelligent man. I think his only goal as an MEP was to make as much money as he physically could, and then bolt. <laughs> and he would keep getting re-elected if uh, he proclaimed to be representing, you know, the Eurosceptic side of, you know, of the British half of the European Parliament. Uh, I think he knew he was going to keep getting elected on that platform, and he would make as much money as he bloody could in the process. You know, there's a reason why he uses MEP salary and uses allowance to always fly first class and always get into very luxurious hotels whilst he was out in Brussels. Uh, and remember, that's all about, that's all on the taxpayer's buck. You know, whatever money that we pay for our MEPs is going to go to him and is going to be spent by him. And he'll, you know, he'll inflate his, uh, he'll inflate his expenses to the cows come home. But anyway, he came up, uh, <laughs> circling back, he uh, came up on stage and then sort of immediately, immediately decided that he'd, he'd already decided who we all were. Um, he immediately all decided that we were all uh, bleeding heart, bleeding heart snowflakes. <laughs> we were all um, anarcho, anarcho socialists that wanted to turn England into a free love commune. Just oh, this was this was as Brexit was kind of like boiling over, it was becoming a thing. And you know, I, you know, I'd read the UKIP manifesto, and you know, there was very little content in it at the time. And uh, <laughs> he got asked one question, basically saying. You know, is it sort of morally is it morally right that a country that's that's by comparison to many other countries in the world, you know, however many hundred odd countries there are in the world, or hundreds of countries there are in the world, you know, is it sort of morally or is it morally right to um, cut aid spending to countries that you know we'd previously colonised um, and that we'd left in a in a pretty sorry state? Uh, was it was it morally right to cut aid spending entirely altogether? And then, you know, sort of being unable to to create a coherent answer to the question, just sort of threw his hands up in the air and stormed off because obviously, you know, just, you know, well, you know, you know, I've said it before. I hate the statement all politicians are the same, but that is that is a classic, uh, that's a classic stroppy politician move. But it's more of a strappy, uh, stroppy celebrity move, isn't it? It's like when. Um, it's like when Matt Damon was on that show, and they asked him about they asked him about what was it, uh, Team America. You know, if you've not seen Team America, watch it. It's dumb, it's hilarious. It's dumb, stupid, funny stuff. You know, it's 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 essentially it's essentially like a Thunderbirds piss take, but Americanized. And you know, they asked him about it, and you could see he was immediately upset. <laughs> he was immediately upset that they asked him about it. And then he, and they go, oh come on, it's a joke, and he just stormed off. And you know, it's it's a diva move. And hey, if um. If you want to see these people make fools out of themselves, then then let's allow that. Let's allow that. But at the same time, let's not stop people from protesting. Because obviously, sometimes these ideas sound very smart to a lot of people. And there needs to be somebody there who can hand them out a pamphlet and say, hey, here's why. You know, I, I really don't want there to be, you know, sort of a flat earth kind of convention going on. And uh, then there's nobody to say like, hey, have you, um, you know, have you read a book? <laughs> you know, have you know, have you have you seen the news? <laughs> you know, we're capable of some pretty amazing things and trust me what I say, the earth is not flat.
so yeah, we we should still be allowing this right to protest. Um, we've got there's various academics at Cambridge who have um who've gone against this move. Professor uh Preamva, oh I'm gonna butcher, I'm gonna immediately butcher pronunciations again. So I'm very, I'm uh, if you're listening, uh, Professor Gopal, I am extremely sorry for butchering your first name. Priyamvada Gopal, Professor Priyamvada Gopal. Uh, said that uh, in a tweet, whilst there are the poor students trying to make it less draconian, there are the <laughs> freeze peach brigade trying to stop the right to protest. Uh, so basically, you've got you've got students that are essentially just asking for a level of respect and to not be treated in a condescending or dismissive way. Meanwhile, uh, you know, you've got Cambridge posh boys basically saying, like, you know, I, I, I want the right to say that a woman's brain is smaller than a man's. And it, it, it shows. Uh, it really does show. And, uh, you know, there's, there's many different, there's, like I've said, there's many different events that come under the backdrop of this. Like uh, uh, earlier this year, um, students called for the suspension of a porter at Clare. Uh, after he, he'd resigned his role on city council in protest of pro-trans rights um, motions at Clare College, so you know that's that's already a bit of a that's a you know that's already a bit of a red flag, um, as well. Jordan Peterson, uh, if you don't know who Jordan Peterson, he's a Canadian academic. He's a professor of uh, psychology. He's also a, a sort of right-wing political provo- uh, provocateur. He's the professor taking on political correctness. You know, he speaks out about, uh, he speaks against uh, gender pronouns. He doesn't, he debated Islamophobia's existence. And uh, he's warned us all of the of the radical left's movement. Uh, the radical left movement, which is an underground uh, cultural Marxist. <laughs> honestly, it's a little bit incoherent to my ear. Cultural Marxist movement, uh, which aims to subvert the Western way of life. Um He's he's got some interesting ideas. Uh, I flat out don't agree with any of them. Sorry, Jordan, but hey, Jordan's very big on freedom of speech, so I disagree with him. Apparently, um, apparently, you know, he will only really respect and debate people who are willing to fight him. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure, yeah, that's how dis- that ha- that's how discourse works. But hey, you know, fine if you find me in the pub, mate. Sure, we'll go, we'll go out around the back and we'll have a dust up. Not sure whether you know it's a young twenties bloke in you know versus a fifty fifties odd bloke is, is a is a fair fight. But yeah, sure. Uh, if that's if that's how we have to have a discussion in polite society, that's fine. But he was um, he was denied a visiting fellowship after students protested uh, his obviously very controversial views, and you know that that backs onto uh, pro trans rights uh, in itself. So like I said. This uh, motion was passed by a board dominated by by white men, wealthy white men, and you know, not to say that there's anything wrong with that. I am a white man, and I don't I don't feel bad for being that. I no, I didn't pick uh, easy mode when I was born. Uh, you know, this isn't a you know, this isn't this isn't a, a role playing game. You know, uh, I recently started playing the new Cyberpunk game, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, fantastic game. And uh, I didn't get that choose your difficulty menu when I was born, so I'm not going to apologise for that. But at the same time, I think that people who are asking for that level of respect that uh, that I necessarily get just through virtue of who I am, because I'm a bloke, I don't worry too much about walking home in the dark at night. But 
I know for a lot of young women that could actually be quite uh, that can be quite a scary idea. Uh, so you know there, there's already a level of uh, respect and privilege that I own. When I see a police officer, I'm you know I'm not necessarily worried that I look like I'm doing anything shifty. But then again, I'm white, and as I've I've learned through the BLM movement, went to a socially distanced rally in Cambridge earlier this year. You know, I found out a lot a lot of things. I thought you know the sort of uh, the Silicon Fen, the metropolitan uh, city of lights and enlightenment. You know, wise or oh, we're too we're too liberal and smart to be racist. Uh, turns out that's that's all <laughs> all load of tosh. If you're a young black man in Cambridge, you are six times more likely to get stopped uh, by the police. Who'd have thunk it? And yeah, so there's another level of respect and privilege that I'm afforded purely because of how I was born. Uh, so I don't think it's right that they can purely dismiss the concerns of these groups when these speakers come to talk. Because uh, at the end of the day, if you go to a college, if you go to a college in Cambridge, if you go to a place in Oxford, if you go to Eton, uh, you're typically on the up and up. You know, there's no surprise that. A huge amount of Boris Johnson's cabinet went to Eton, and he himself went to Eton. You are on the up and up, and that kind of that forces you to have a perspective. You know, you may end up being quite an important person in this country, and if you have no experience, if you have no, if you have no perspective on the people that potentially suffer the most, then you know how the hell can you have the right to govern? And it's not, you know, this is a, you know, this isn't sort of like a wow, my feelings kind of thing. Um, you know, this isn't really a snowflake. This isn't a snowflake issue. Uh, a report published by Stonewall, gay rights uh, gay rights movement or LGBTQ plus movement in conjunction with YouGov, uh, which is a big, big statistics organisation in the UK, found that in 2018, two in five trans people, uh, which about 41% of people they surveyed and three in 10 non-binary people, which was about 31%, had been subject to a hate crime in the last 12 months. And hate crime will be uh, verbal or physical abuse due to their identity. Uh, it can be denied uh, entry into certain places. Uh, that, that's a hate crime. So it, these, are, these are real crimes. These are things enshrined in law. This isn't something that's, that's just sort of about, uh, you know, that it upsets someone. I mean, obviously it's going to upset someone, but nevertheless it's part of the law. And, uh, hey, everybody's equal to and or supposed to be equal to and subject to the law. And we should be building a place that's uh, that's, you know, a safe environment for everyone. And it's, you know, it's pretty and it's it's surprisingly bad at universities as well. They also found in the same uh, report there in 2018, more than a third of trans university students that they surveyed. And that's about that's 36 percent. So that's a big chunk. You know, that's more than a quarter. That's far more than a quarter of trans uh, uni students, so higher education students, had experienced negative comments or behaviour from staff that last year. Which is, so that, that's obviously bad in, in itself because university is an environment supposed to foster your learning, uh, it's supposed to, you know, make you, make you feel safe to a degree, and those people that you're supposed to be getting that education from are not creating an environment which you can learn which you can develop, which you can grow. That's the whole point of university. Uh, it's very hard to uh, learn, develop, or grow if you don't feel safe. And if you don't feel respected as well. And hey, you know, as a as a uni student, you know, I was obviously, you know, this is coming from a point of like, I could say, I could probably say this, but I'd be like, hey, I don't 
give a I don't give a flying toss what you think. Uh, I'm paying your bloody salary, and uh, I think it affords an academic to have an open mind. But hey, that's just me. Maybe I, <laughs> you know, um, maybe maybe I'm a maybe I'm a bleeding heart snowflake. Uh, I'm a soft girlish liberal who has yet to wake up and smell the ashes of our burning Western society. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like to think of myself an empathic person. Uh, I can see, I can try and see the world through somebody else's eyes. And honestly, if somebody wants to live their life under a different name or a different gender than how they started, then I will try and uh, do my best to you know to make them feel happy because uh, if you if if you live your life trying to make you know if you live your life trying to make other people upset through just small things <laughs> like you need a little bit of self, a little bit of self reflection I find it really reductive to think that uh, just because somebody you know somebody's asking for that level of respect that that's going to be like you know that that's going to be the tipping point then they're going to ask for more uh, I don't think that's the case, and I think if you look at the at the mission goals of any equal rights movement, that's not the end game. And you know, who you can talk about this as being like, oh, it's going to be the death of liberal society because we can't discuss these things. It's like maybe this is just a development. It used to be very okay in liberal society to treat black people and to call black people by certain names and force them into certain areas and some people still think that's okay but a the thankfully the great consensus is no that's not okay and i see that as not a reduction in debate i see that as just a growth of society it used to be okay to or it used to be okay at least in the western world unfortunately in a lot of places in the world it's still okay but it used to be perfectly okay to arrest, beat, torture gay people or trans people. And now society has developed and we've gone, hmm, okay, maybe maybe that's not okay. Because after all, they are people and what right, uh, what right do we have to dominate their lives? And surely that's part of the liberal democracy. I thought liberalism was about a marriage of respect and disagreement. And I don't think there's ever going to be a fully right answer. I doubt the question will ever be resolved about how do we work in tolerance and discourse in society. But I mean, hell, I feel like, <laughs> you know, looking after, looking after our minorities is probably the most compassionate thing that we can do as a society and ensuring that their voices are heard and the respect that we're afforded on a day-to-day -day basis and when i say we i'm basically referring to to white middle class people the the things that we get just as a given uh, we should be trying to pay that forward and i think this whole you know bringing in this rigorous debate that, uh, that Vice Chancellor Toop wants. Uh, I feel like it could have an exact opposite effect. I feel like that these minority groups are going to feel scared from making their voices heard when these very counterproductive opinions are perpetuated. 
And, you know, where, where does it end? You know, uh, uh, an invitee can no longer be disinvited from speaking at UOC. So what if they get invited to speak in a few months and then, God forbid, they start going really off the deep end and they start saying outrightly discriminatory or hateful things? You know, what happens then? Uh, do they make, start making special rules or was it just easier in the first place? to have a much more free and open discussion and maybe actually include these uh these minority groups in the discussion i don't know how far uh, obviously you know this is a very internal thing but i don't know how far these groups that were concerned about the speakers coming in were involved in the discussion and the decision making and i doubt that they were involved very far despite that they're going to be the people that are most affected by this but hey this is you know, this is self-contained in Cambridge University, but as I've already stated, people who come out of Cambridge have a leg up to go into some very important places in life, or at least in British life. And if any of you are listening right now, uh, I'd just humbly ask, take perspective, you know, just think about it for a bit. I, for, you know, sort of for like when I was a little bit younger, when I was first I kind of getting into politics and um and philosophy i was very much a sort of open debate liberal like very very much and i didn't apologize for nothing no i was uh no I, I, i'm not gonna back down i'm not gonna apologize <laughs> and i'm still not going to but you know it took me a while to actually gain some perspective and go like huh okay maybe actually there's a lot of things going on under the surface or in a world that i simply cannot see and maybe if I go ahead and actually just open my eyes and my ears and start listening to the people who live in that other world, I might actually start seeing it. And yeah, I do see it. And I think if uh, you future leaders can do that as well, then maybe we'll live in a much happier liberal society. Um, but what do you th- what do you think? Uh, let me know um, if you you know if you think I'm I'm full of it. Then uh, that's fine. That's part of our. That's part of our one liberal democracy. You have the right to tell me that I'm full of it. You don't have the right to say um, I think we should kill Joe because he's full of it. Uh, uh, that's not your right. But nevertheless, um, if you think I'm full of it, tell me I'm full of it. And uh, if you, yeah, if you've got a reason why, then then let me know. That's uh, that's all part of the discourse. And if you think I'm right, then hey, I, we can be friends. <laughs> um, yeah, we can be great friends. But. Hey, uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the University Cast. If you're not following already, if you're not following me on everything, why? I demand to know. I ask for it every episode. <laughs> um, but uh, in all seriousness, if you're not already following, uh, please consider it. Uh, it really helps the show. Uh, it helps me seeing those listens and those follows tick up. Gives me that little, uh, gives me that little dopamine hit to get me through the day. And uh, if you've got any stories that uh, you want to let me know about, or if you've got any, uh, I'm happy to not just do stories. I'd very much like to get, if you've got experiences or if you've got advice or if you've got uh, just any general uni stuff that you think would be very useful to share with the wider student population of the United Kingdom, then please let me know. I'm very happy to take on guests. I do like guests. So yeah, just uh, hit me up. You can follow uh, you can follow me and message me on various platforms. Uh, follow me on Spotify for the shows, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, uh, a, a whole platform, a whole uh, platform, <laughs> plethora of different streaming services are at your fingertips uh, if you'd listen to the show. 
And if you want to get in touch, uh, you can get in touch by Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can uh, email me directly to my professional inbox, uh, universitycast at gmail.com. Uh, university spelled Y-O-University. And yeah, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And I will see you next week. Bye-bye now.